0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for your word. Lead us on this morning. Take us by the heart and fill us with your love, your grace, your mercy, so that we may praise Jesus evermore. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we covered the first three of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These Beatitudes, they touch upon the intellect, the heart, they move us to action. They, as we also saw, are paradoxes in a way when you are poor in spirit and you realize that then you receive the riches of christ you inherit the riches of the kingdom of heaven when you are when you start to mourn for your sin you receive the greatest comfort which is the gospel and in the gospel you are restored you are healed you are brought back to life and the meek this is not the what the world thinks of as meek, as timid. But when you are meek, you actually have your heart set on the Lord. And even though the world might see you as mild or timid, you are actually stronger than anyone, for you are standing firm in him and him alone. You see, when you actually take in these beatitudes, and not just hear them, But really take them in. Let them move you. Let them shape your lives. You understand that they truly are a blessing from God. And remember, what is a blessing? A blessing is the pronouncement of God's favor. It is the pronouncement of God's grace upon you. That you receive God's love, His grace and mercy from the Father. That in the Son... You have His love and you are redeemed, and you have the assurance of the favor of the Holy Spirit. And in communion with the Holy Spirit, when you hear these words and you take them in and let them shape your lives, you are blessed. You have God's favor. So let us receive more of God's favor this morning as we go into the other three, the next three Beatitudes. And we begin with this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, righteousness is not a word that you hear very much outside of church, is it? And if you do hear it outside of church, it's often said in a derogatory manner. Oh, you think you're so high and mighty. You're so righteous, aren't you? On a lower level, people might just say, oh, you're just a goody-two-shoes, something like that. But righteousness is a very important word. If you take a look at Scripture, and you include not only the word, but even the root of the word, it is seen over 700 times throughout Scripture. So what does righteousness actually mean? So from the Old Testament, It has its root in straightness, or as opposed to crookedness. As a ruler is straight, and you would measure things by the ruler, you would measure how things are straight by righteousness. But it's more than just straight. It includes and is really about the sense of what is morally right. What is the morally correct thing to do? Or, in simple terms, what uh, it says, to do what is right and good and proper. And if you think about it, righteousness is what holds us together. Because righteousness tells us how to interact with each other. It tells us what is to be right and good and true. And so righteousness is actually what is to hold our society together, our families together, our relationships together. Without righteousness, everything falls apart. And you can see that in our society right now. Right now, more than anything, I think we're in the book of Judges because at the very end of the book of Judges, it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you can see that when everybody does what is right in their own eyes, the fabric of relationships, of families, of societies, of nation falls apart. For goodness sake, we have people who say that men can become pregnant. Really? And it's to the point now where people can't even define What a woman is. That was in the news recently, right? Can't even define what a woman is. This is where everybody does what is right and thinks what is right in their own eyes. Everything falls apart. So the question is where do you find the standard, the unchanging standard of what is true and right and proper and does not? change. The only where, only place, the only person you can find that is God. God by his very nature is righteous, and thus he and he alone is the foundation of all that is good and true and proper. Let me say that again because this is very important because this is a message that has been lost in our culture. God, by his very nature, is righteous, and thus is the foundation of all that is right and good. What does it say about God in Scripture? Well, in the Old Testament second chronicles, it says, "Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, "The Lord is righteous." Psalm 89 verse 14 through 16. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all day and in your righteousness, and your righteousness are exalted. And by the way, from our our call to worship this morning, From Psalm 7, it says, I will give to the Lord thanks due to his righteousness. The Lord God is righteous. And apart from God, there is no true righteousness. It's either God's way or it's a free-for-all. And there's no in-between on that. So, God's righteousness. This beatitude says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness. We cannot earn God's righteousness. We cannot be good enough to somehow grasp it and say, I have attained righteousness. The righteousness we receive from God is through faith in his son, Jesus as we sang in the song nothing but the blood of jesus when we receive jesus as lord and savior god declares us righteous he says because of his mercy and grace you are saved you are redeemed you are made righteous it says this in second corinthians chapter 5 for our sake he made him that is jesus He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we should hunger and thirst for. We should thirst for Christ Jesus. But this is not a one-time hunger and thirst. If you take a look at the actual language, the actual language would be more like this. Blessed are they who continually hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus isn't talking to people about a one and done sort of thing or taking a little bit of sip or just taking a little bit of nibble, you know, just a little snack. He's saying those who continually hunger and thirst, those who crave for righteousness. Now, I told this uh, once a while ago, but we have a lot of new people So, here's an example. This is uh, many years ago from a church, and it's uh, Pastor D.A. Torrey. He wrote this. He said he received a note from a lady during a church evening service. And the note read, Is there any place where I can find satisfaction for my soul? I've been looking for it everywhere. I've sought it in wealth, but have not found it. I have sought it in society, but I have not found it. I've sought it in the pleasure of this world, but have not found it. I've sought it in study, but have not found it. I sought it in art, but have not found it. I have been seeking it in travel. I've just returned from a tour around the world and seeking for satisfaction of my heart, but have not found it. Can you tell me where I can find it? Now, this note was unsigned, and he read it during that evening service and replied, Yes, I can tell this lady where she can find satisfaction for her soul this very night. She can find it in Jesus. Whoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now at the close of that meeting, the lady came forward and she told Pastor Tory, I was the one who wrote that note. And so Pastor Tory opened up his Bible, shared with her the gospel, and that night she received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now the next night she came back and she came forward and said this, last night I wrote a note to Dr. Tory asking him, if there was any place I could find satisfaction in my soul, I had sought it everywhere. I would sought it in wealth, fashion, society, in pleasure, study, in art, and in travel, but I couldn't find it. Last night, I received Jesus, and I found that satisfaction for my soul, which I have been seeking all these years. This is a woman who had been hungering and thirsting, so long and looking everywhere, and now, in Christ Jesus, she had found that full satisfaction. That is the blessing she received. That is the blessing of this beatitude. Those who continually in hunger and thirst, who crave for Jesus Christ and His righteousness, they find satisfaction for their soul. But righteousness does not stop there. You see, righteousness comes from God and defines your relationship, and it also then defines how you live with each other. You cannot say, I have been satisfied, my soul has been satisfied with the righteousness of Christ Jesus, and then go ahead and live the rest of your life as if you have not been satisfied. To go ahead and gossip and slander, gamble, drink, look at things you should not be looking at. You can't live that unrighteousness and say, I thirst after Jesus. It does not work. It also affects the relationship you have with your spouse, your family. It affects how we, as a body of Christ, interact with each other to do what is good and right and proper. This is how it should affect our entire lives. You see, I I have the blessing of preparing messages each week. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a blessing, okay, admittedly. But you know what? I spend like 8 to up to 20 hours sometimes on a message. And it soaks in. And after a while, it just starts to affect you. I still fail. I still fumble. I haven't attained righteousness, and I never will. That's why Christ Jesus came. But it starts to move me and affect me in ways that I'm not the same man I used to be. And I feel blessed by that. This is the blessing we're talking about, the favor of God. Now, he also talked about this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we've talked about that in the past couple messages. Just as righteousness is an attribute, a characteristic of God, so is his mercy. It's an essential attribute, And here's what is at the heart of mercy. At the heart of God's mercy is his loving kindness, compassion, his steadfast love, his forgiveness of sin. So remember we talked about Bartimaeus and how he cried out for mercy, and Jesus was moved. He had compassion on that blind beggar, And because of that compassion, he stopped and healed him. And you see, the lesson is this. Compassion is not just a feeling. It moves you to act. To be merciful is to be moved to act. To be merciful. Not just to feel merciful. Not just to feel compassion. To be a Christian is not only to have compassion, but compassion that moves you to act for others' sake. This is the parable that Jesus gave with the Good Samaritan. So let's let's hear this parable. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, do likewise. To be merciful, to be a follower of Christ Jesus, is to have a compassion that acts. You see, to be merciful is to have the love of God in you. John wrote about this, 1 John chapter 3. But if anyone has the world's But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You must have a love of God and a love, therefore, of others. And to be merciful is to give yourself of yourself to another. Now, this could be in goods, in material things, it could be Helping out with money. I mean, sometimes that's needed, without doubt. And there are other times to really give of your time. And it might be sitting beside the bedside of someone who's ill and just holding their hand. You don't have any good words, pearls of wisdom, anything. All there is to do is sit by them, to love them. This is what it means to have that compassion, that mercy. And to to be merciful is to forgive others. Forgiving somebody who wronged you, even though you were in the right and they are truly in the wrong. To withhold revenge or vengeance, which is a natural thing for us to want to do. Jesus said we are to love our enemies. To love and forgive go hand in hand. As one person put it, the merciful person remembers his own sin and God's mercy to him. He understands the weakness of others and he forgives. I came across a story of a, of a pastor a number of years ago who, who was in London. And he recalled that it was Christmas time in his home. And one time he had a, a guest come a couple of days early. And the guest saw him sending off the last of the Christmas cards. And he was startled to see a certain name addressed. This guest was startled to see that the pastor was writing a Christmas card to this certain person. And so this guest said, Surely you are not sending a greeting card to him. Pastor said, Why not? But you remember, said the guest, 18 months ago. And the pastor said, I remembered. I remembered then the thing that this man had publicly said about me. But I also remembered at that time, with God's help, to forget. And God made me forget. So I sent the card. God, in Christ Jesus, forgets our sin. It says this in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far Does he remove our transgressions from us? As a father, he shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. See, when being merciful pervades your life, you receive blessings in so, so many ways. And now we come to the third one. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So when you thirst for his righteousness, and you hunger for that, and you set your heart and are filled by compassion and mercy, and you have that single-mindedness of following God, do you know what happens? Your heart is purified. You have less and less of that old nature and more and more of the love, the grace, the mercy of Christ Jesus. Your heart is purified when you have that single-mindedness. So to be pure in heart is to set your heart upon God's righteousness and mercy with that single-mindedness. And this is not just about outward appearance. It is about the inward of the whole person. This is not about the form of being religious. Because there are many people who are religious, and they go to church, but they still have not been sanctified. They have not been purified in their heart. Jesus talked about this quite a bit with the Pharisees. This is what he said to the Pharisees. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of your cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you are outwardly so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He was harsh with them, and it should be, and we should hear those harsh words, for any of us who think That because we have the form of religion, we are pure of heart. Now, let's be clear. Just as with righteousness, the only one who is perfectly pure in heart is God himself. He is the standard of righteousness. He is the standard of mercy. Mercy from him flows righteousness. From him flows mercy. He is pure. And so we cannot grasp pure of heart. But when we have that single-mindedness, you start to see God in a way that you have never seen God before. I think of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, whose eyes were opened, right? Been blind forever. And now his eyes were opened. And do you know probably what the first thing he saw? the face of God. He saw Christ Jesus. And when you follow Christ Jesus with that single-mindedness, even though you stumble, even though I stumble and fail and fall, we confess our sins, we receive His forgiveness, we stand and we see God more clearly throughout life. And this is a blessing. This is the blessing. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Is to have a sin- sincere faith, one without hypocrisy, wickedness, or de- deceit. Paul wrote this in First Timothy. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. To be pure in heart is to avoid the things that defile you, rather pursue the things of God, he also wrote this to Timothy, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, just as with righteousness you can't say, I'm pursuing God, and then go to all those youthful passions that are not of God to be pure in heart is to follow and be purified by God's word. Peter wrote this, having purified your soul by obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then finally, to be a pure heart is to continually being filled by the heart of Jesus. Each day, each day, it's not like you get to fill up once on Sunday and then go your way. It is each and every single day. This is why Paul writes write in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live now in the flesh. I live by the faith of Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you like to be blessed? Would you like the favor of God in your life? Then take heart and do these. Learn to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. You can actually learn this, by the way. Then act accordingly with others. You know, when you're growing up, Was there a food you didn't like when you were growing up, and now you love it? Like, now you really want that, right? And it's good. For some people, especially beginning Christians, like, oh, for me, asparagus. I just didn't like it. I love asparagus now. Weird, huh? But it's like that. Hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Learn that. And then also practice this. Be merciful and compassionate. Compassionate with someone this week. And again, it could just be sitting with them. No particular words. Maybe just holding their hand. To be pure in heart. Be immersed in God's word. I would encourage you just to read the gospel of Matthew. doesn't take that long. Read the Gospel of Matthew this week and then be filled with the heart of Christ Jesus. And all the people said amen.